The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Lilly Oncology and Onyx Pharmaceuticals. Well, parenting with cancer can often be an overwhelming and challenging experience. Uh, Often one of the most difficult parts is figuring out how to speak with children after a cancer diagnosis. Uh, We know that children of different ages react quite differently uh, to a parent's diagnosis. On our episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer today, we are going to explore the challenges of parenting with cancer and the importance of keeping an open dialogue as it relates to the cancer diagnosis. Let me introduce you to our guest today. First, we have Jen Scully, and Jen is the program director at our Gildas Club in Westchester. Welcome, Jen. Thank you, Kim. Also here are Michelle Jasper Brody and Nicole Suozo, two women who are very familiar with both sides of this difficult conversation. Michelle is the mother of school-aged twins, and her husband was diagnosed with cancer and passed away from the disease. And Nicole is a college student. Her mother was diagnosed with cancer when Nicole was beginning high school. Welcome, Michelle and Nicole. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Jen, let me start with you. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about some common challenges you have seen uh, with parents uh, when they're facing cancer? Sure. I, you know, I think our instinct is often to shield our kids by trying to hide the illness and pretend everything's okay. And in reality, even if cancer is not being discussed, even the youngest of children can sense some sort of changes in their environment and those around them. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that I see parents face is knowing when um, and how to talk to kids about cancer. Um, so when, in terms of the timing, you know, when someone is diagnosed and as changes happen in the diagnosis, and then how to talk to them, what kinds of words, what language to use when talking about cancer with their with their children. Uh you know, another struggle that I think of also is just trying to maintain some sort of normalcy um, in their family when things are just completely abnormal. They're, you know, going through a situation that they've never gone through before and everything's kind of been turned upside down. Um, and there's, you know, the desire to keep things normal for their kids at a time that's very difficult to do that based on um, everything that's going on with the family. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Michelle, uh, you know, you certainly and your family had this experience firsthand. Um, what was your experience with telling your children um, about cancer, and what were you most concerned about? I guess there's a balance between saying too much and not saying enough. And uh, I'm actually a psychologist, and um, so I talk to kids in schools all the time about um you know, difficult topics and things that are hard to talk about. But I think the important thing was managing my own anxiety and kind of giving the kids enough information so that they could feel like they knew what was going on without bogging them down with too much information or leaking my anxiety onto them. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I found it very, very helpful to refer to people and books who were familiar with what, for me, was the first time going through it. So there's so much language out there. There's so many books and so many people who have experience with families who are dealing with cancer, and instead of trying to invent the wheel myself, I was able to borrow a lot of that information from other people, and that was really helpful. How old, Michelle, were your children when your husband was diagnosed with cancer? I mean, he was diagnosed before they were born, and then he was clean for 10 years, so cancer was kind of looming all the time anyway, but they were like seven when he was re-diagnosed, you know, mm-hmm. before he died. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Nicole, you um, experienced being a child of someone with cancer um, firsthand. Can you tell us about that experience, maybe take us back to that time? Yes, so my mother was diagnosed um, when I was 15 and my sister was 12, and it was kind of tough because I had just started high school and my sister had just started middle school, and we were in the process of moving. So when you combine all those factors in general, everybody was under stressful circumstances when this happened. Um, In general, my sister was pretty much sheltered throughout the diagnosis, and I remember that really bothered me and that made me kind of angry because having to pretend like everything was okay for her sake I would say was the hardest part of the experience. And looking back now, obviously later and more mature, um, I I understand where my parents were coming from, but as being an older sister in that situation, I remember it was really tough for me to feel like I knew more and that, you know, I was putting on a smile and acting like I thought everything was okay when she was kind of kept out of the loop. And so you did you feel the need to sort of protect your 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 sister a little bit and be that be that older sibling? Yeah, I definitely felt like it was my responsibility to make sure she was okay also just because my parents were dealing with so much between the two of them. Um so I definitely put it an added um some added pressure on myself to feel like it was my responsibility to take care of her. But you just didn't feel like you had the tools or the resources or enough information to do that. You were just kind of muddling through a little bit so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, Jen, it, you know, I, it's, it seems like one of the greatest obstacles, yet one of the most important parts of parenting with cancer is communicating, is, is, is communication. And um, it seems in particular communicating in an age-appropriate way with children um, about the cancer. Can you give us some insight on that? Why is that important? And, and, and what do we know about the importance of that communication? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, you know, regardless of whether it's being talked about, kids pick up on changes um, in their environment and in their family members. They see changes in their emotions, 
changes in their energy, their availability. Uh, they observe physical changes in their parents' appearance um, as they're going through cancer. When cancer is not discussed, kids are left with no outlet to ask questions that they may have about these changes or these observations. Um, they don't have an opportunity to share their own feelings and also to clarify the facts of what's going on. Most children, starting at a pretty young age, are capable of understanding at least the basics of cancer. Uh, but along with that come many misconceptions that kids have um, that can really create a lot more worry and anxiety for them. For example, it's really common for kids to think cancer is contagious. Um, this then impacts their interaction with the person living with cancer. Um, they may also become fearful that others, including themselves, may get cancer. By communicating with kids about cancer, we can eliminate, you can't get rid of, but we can eliminate or reduce some of those fears and worries um, that they're having. And just as you stated, we can do this in an age-appropriate way. We know kind of the basics of what kids are capable of understanding based on their age. So there are a lot of things that we can do and language that we can use to help communicate this to kids um, without scaring them further. What if a parent, Jen, says, um, I don't want them to know. I don't, want my, I don't want my kids to know that I have cancer. I want to shield them from that. I want to protect them from that. Is it possible to do that, or are kids kind of picking up on what's going on? I, I think it's very hard to do that. I think um, if, if that's the case, um, the kids might know exa- not know exactly what's going on. Um, but I, I've worked with so many kids who that was their experience when they were younger and when their parent was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, they said, no one was talking to me about it, but I knew something was going on. I noticed these changes. Um, and because it was a secret and no one was talking to them, they didn't feel comfortable then going to their parents and asking them or sharing their fears or um, things that they were worried about. So they or going to anyone outside of the house because it wasn't discussed. So. Mm-hmm. They kept this bottled in, um, and their anxiety grew because they didn't have a clear understanding, really, of of what was going on. Yeah, um, Michelle, we've got a couple minutes until the the um, the break, but can you just can you tell us how how you told your children? Were you in the house? Did you sit them down? Did you tell them together? Were you in the car? What you know? What words did you use? Can you tell us? Yeah, about that? I think that. Um we had a book. My husband and I sat down with them, and I think we had a book about when your parent is sick. Mm-hmm. It was a kid's book with, like, activities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that we explained it like it was any other sickness. You know, they understood, like, if someone gets a cold or, you know, and we didn't know he was going to die then, and we certainly weren't going to tell them that aspect yeah. of it. But that he had an illness and that he needed to get medicine for it. And sometimes his medicine was going to be in the hospital and sometimes his medicine was going to be at home. And there were certain things that the medicine might do to him that, you know. Um, and mostly I think I wanted to hear what the kids had to say because the kids know what they want to hear and what they need to hear. And a lot of times it's tempting to tell them things based on what I think they want to know, but I'm not them. And so really leaving a lot of time for them to ask questions and say what they're thinking and do they have any associations with what we were telling them. Um, And they weren't too freaked out in the beginning, I don't think. Yeah. Do you remember some of the questions they asked or what they wanted to know or what their... You know, what their reaction or language was? They didn't have so many questions because they were familiar Mm -hmm. with, like, people getting sick. Um, Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, just as we went along and as David got sicker and as, um, you know, they saw the symptoms or experienced him not being home, they had more questions, uh, you know, and they even said, is he going to die, you know, mm-hmm. at some point, um, yeah. which is tricky, you know, because people die. You know, yes. people die who aren't sick, and people die who are sick, and people don't die, and we don't really know. And that was right. really important to maintain. Like, we don't really know. Things are possible. Here are the likelihoods, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, um, Nicole, do you remember when your parents told you what questions you had, what you what you asked them? It was an interesting situation for my family because... Um, before being diagnosed with cancer, my mom had gone untreated with Lyme and was dealing with chronic fatigue. So um, when my parents sat us down, they sat me down first, I believe, and then, again, we had a family discussion afterwards. But there wasn't going to be much of a change in my mom because she had been she had already been sick for so long. Mm-hmm. But I remember mm-hmm. we all sat down again when she lost her hair because I think for my sister and I, mm-hmm. that's when it became very real. Yeah. Um, that's. Because until then, you know, most of the treatments, my mom wasn't really treated at home. She was treated outside. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like we were exposed to much of what she was going through. That was different from the routine we had already been dealing with. So it was nice that my parents revisited the conversation when things, when the situation seemed to have changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, This is frankly speaking about cancer. What do I tell the kids? That's the question. When diagnosed with cancer, we're having a conversation with some folks who have been through this on all different uh, uh, ends of the conversation as a parent, as a child. And Jen Scully, who's our program director at our Gilda's Club in Westchester, who's helping people through this process and this conversation every day uh, there at our at our clubhouse in, uh, uh, in Westchester. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We have a lot more to cover uh, with our guests today. So um, don't go away. We'll be right back. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. 
To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored in part today by Amgen Oncology and Bristol-Myers Squibb. Today we're talking about how to tell your children uh, that someone has been diagnosed uh, with cancer. Our guests are Jen Scully, our program director at our Gildas Club in Westchester, uh, we also have with us Michelle Jasper Brody and Nicole Suozo, who have been uh, at each end of this uh, uh, delicate conversation. Um, Jen, we talked in the last segment um, about the fact that, that communication is one of the most important, but also one of the most challenging aspects of parenting uh, with cancer. Um, as you know, at the Cancer Support Community, we recently published a new, frankly speaking, about cancer book uh, called What Do I Tell the Kids? It features information, advice, uh, resources to help in the process. Um, Jen, can you tell us a little bit about why you think a resource like this is so important, how individuals with cancer and their caregivers uh, can use it? Because I imagine a lot of folks, when this happens, they just feel really lost. They don't know where to turn. Absolutely. And I think that's why this is such a great resource. It's, you know, it's um, very straightforward and to the point. Um, It's not very long. Parents don't have a great deal of time on their hands to sit and you know, read through a lengthy book about how to handle this, and um, it's really straightforward. It gives parents, I think, also some insight as to, um, in a very simple way, what their kids might understand about cancer based on their age, as well as things they might see in their kids. You know, a lot of parents will come to me asking, is this normal? Is this behavior normal? Or is, are these questions normal that they're asking me? Um, and this book gives some of those um, common behaviors and feelings that parents might uh, observe in their kids. It also gives them some really concrete tips and tools on how to actually support and talk to their kids. Um, and again, it's not lengthy, so it's a resource that they can kind of keep through this experience. I think Michelle brought up, a, um, Michelle and Nicole, I think at different points brought up the importance of continuing the conversation when there are changes that happen. And um, this is a resource that, you know, you can utilize from the moment that someone's diagnosed through their whole cancer experience as things change. Um, and as their kids get older and their understanding changes as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think it is. I think it is really 
critical because I think folks, like you said, you know, we said earlier, they want to protect their kids from all of this and they want them to obviously suffer as little as possible as they're watching their loved one go through cancer. But as you said, there are a lot of myths and misconceptions that children um, hold about cancer and it's important for us to sort of debunk those um, uh, for kids. You know, Michelle, I think one of the... the um, most uh, helpful aspects of the book is that it details common behaviors and different levels of understanding for, uh, of cancer for children at different ages. And I know you said that, um, uh, that when your husband was diagnosed, that he had had cancer earlier, but when he was diagnosed again, that your twins were, um, were seven and that when you originally sat down with them, they, they were sort of pretty calm. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, as the, as the, uh, the treatment unfolded, as sort of the routine changed there in your home, a little bit, and then obviously he became more ill. Can you talk about how that experience yeah. and the communication changed over time? Yeah, I mean, my kids were very different from each other. You know, they're twins. I think they were actually six when he was re-diagnosed. Um, but uh, so my daughter was got very, very clingy with me, and my son kind of, he wasn't, he's not a kid who really talks about his feelings a lot, so I had to was both of them really listened to kind of what they were saying and really step back and watch how they were reacting. Um, and that's hard for a parent going through, like, my husband's treatment because I was very busy with my husband's treatment. I also work full-time. So, um, you know, taking time to really watch and listen to my kids was a challenge. And, um, you know, I don't know how well I did it or how well I do it, but... Um, as he got sicker and as he was in the hospital more often, that really scared them because he wasn't home and they didn't like going to the hospital to visit him. The whole thing like scared them. And I think that they were worried that he was going to die. That was part of the fear. But even like before that worry, they, they were losing him just physically. He wasn't around and he was a very, very active dad. He probably was around more than I was when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of change for them of like me being around more of him not being around. They missed him a lot. You know, they always wanted to know when's he coming home, when's he coming home. Plus, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I had to be with him and they were with family and it wasn't because they wanted to be. It was kind of because they had to be and mm-hmm. they didn't love, you know, yeah. being sent to their grandparents for a week or whatever the circumstances were. Um so, you know, times were really hard sometimes, but it wasn't all the time, you know, and it's also finding joyful moments or joyful extended periods of time between the hard times. Yeah. Even sometimes when he was in the hospital, you know, if I was there day after day, and then sometimes I would say, I need to be with the kids, and I wouldn't go to the hospital, and I would take them and do something fun with them and just be with them. Um I'm not sure if this is what you're asking. No, I, it is absolutely what I'm asking, and, and, and then... Just tell us about the moment when, you know, the, the time frame when, when you knew he wasn't going to get well. What was that uh, communication like with the kids? Yeah, I mean, it was a long time before that. I, it was a couple of years probably because mm-hmm. even if doctors said it's likely he's not going to live, I kind of maintained the perspective that you really never know. Like, we're not God. Um, mm-hmm. But then... You know, when they started, like, there, when he was very, very sick, and or, like, when he was in hospice, 
Um, and the kids were like, is he going to die? Or I'm afraid he's going to die. Or sometimes I heard my kids talking to each other, and one of them would be like, you know Abba's going to die. Abba's Hebrew for dad. You know Abba's going to die. You know, And the other one was like, nah, you know, no, he's not. And kids have all these adorable ways of thinking about it. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, sometimes their own conversation was way better than anything I could have told them because yeah. they were grappling with what was going to happen. But at some point, I, I said to them, you know, he probably is going to die. And and this yeah. is kind of what it looks like. And I said, I mean, the big moment was when I said to them, like, we're going to be fine. Yeah. Like, we're going to be okay. Like, Abba, when he dies or if he lives, is going to be okay either way. Yeah. And we're going to be okay. And we're going to be able to keep living even without him. Yeah. And it's going to be yeah. hard. But, you know, it's going to be hard at times. But we're going to do it. And people do it. Yeah. And we're built to do this because everyone dies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really say it in a depressing way. It was just like part of life, you know, and I certainly had my own moments when it was hard to accept that. But in my best self, I really do accept that. And I really tried to transmit that to my kids. Yeah, yeah. It's very powerful. Um, Nicole, you, you had talked about the fact that, you, you know, you felt like you weren't necessarily getting the communication or the information um, that, you, that you needed. You know, looking back, what you were you were a teenager and and you know I mean just being a teenager is you know is tough enough but having to to deal with this and hear this news and process this you know looking back what what would have been more helpful to you at that at the age um, you know entering high school what information would have been helpful what sort of processes or behaviors would have been helpful to you at that time? It's interesting because I've I've personally never been someone that enjoys. Or, or it's fond of the idea of going to maybe a group therapy or meeting with somebody on a routine basis to, you know, like talk about how I'm feeling. Um, I've always just, I've always found other ways to do so. And so eventually in the process, how I met Jen was that they came in to my um, health class at school. And that was how I was introduced to Gilda's Club. And as I've said in many past um conversations and talking about what was helpful for me was finding the outlet to, you know, take my negative experience and make it more positive and working with other kids that were going through the same thing or doing community service that involved helping the lives of other people going through it. I personally, that helped me get rid of a lot of the anger that I had. So instead Mm of that, so for me, I guess, you know, parents just know your kids and just know that those outlets are available. I was lucky enough to have Gilded Club come to my school, but for kids that don't have that or don't have that opportunity, I think it's really important for parents to research all the opportunities and resources that kids can look to and maybe lay them out and allow them to choose. I mean, I was 15, and people that are 15 and older, I'm obviously speaking for the older crowd during this conversation, but um, we can make choices as to what we think is the best outlet for us. So parents, I think just showing your kids what's um, available to them. You know, if my parents maybe had done some research and found out that Gilda's Club is something in the community, they could have maybe introduced it to me, but I was lucky enough um, where Gilda's Club is very involved in my high school. So I was fortunate mm-hmm. enough to find that resource on my own. But just in general, for parents to find, you know, you know your kids, you know their schedule, lay out a couple options for them and tell them that this is what you found. And just um, uh, quickly, Nicole, you talked for a minute about um, the role that you had with your um you know, with your sister? Do you wish that there had been, again, that they had approached that differently? I mean, did you, were you sort of that, 
you know, just generally in that big sister role and felt like you needed to take care of her? Or, I mean, did you sort of default to that role since your parents were dealing with this crisis in the household? Yeah, it was never, I think it was just, I've always been a very independent, um, my parents have always told me that I was growing up, I was always very independent. And I think that I just took the situation and I felt so powerless that I felt like, through my sister, I could maybe that could be my way to help because I I couldn't do much for my parents in that situation, and I did feel very powerless, and that was really something that was hard for me because I was always used to feeling very in control of things that I was doing. Um, so I think that I looked to my sister and said, "This is the one area where I feel like I can do my like I can do a job, or I can do something to help the family." And I remember because I felt that it was just hard for me because when she came to me and maybe asked me questions, I didn't. I also I didn't I I also felt like a parent in that situation like I wanted to keep mm-hmm. her more sheltered and I know that's mm-hmm. in general what we were doing so um, I think but you were just you were just kind of wing, you were winging it though you were just kind of winging it yeah <laughs> definitely winging it um, which you know you do in most circumstances because you never know what they're going to ask yeah yeah. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about uh, a challenging issue, how to talk to your kids uh, about cancer when you or someone close in the family is diagnosed with cancer, how to have that conversation, how to give kids age-appropriate information, how to adjust to a shifting situation um, along the way. But we know that kids have a lot of myths and misconceptions about cancer, and it's important that we find the right tools and, and resources to uh, educate them and and help them through. Uh, We've got a lot more to talk about. We're just going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Today's episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer is, is sponsored in part by Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company. We're joined today by Jen Scully, Program Director at our Gildas Club in Westchester. Michelle Jasper Brody, a mother of two children, her husband uh, was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. And Nicole, uh, Nicole Suozo, whose mother was diagnosed with cancer when Nicole was a high school student, certainly a challenging time, even without the, a, a difficult uh, situation like a cancer diagnosis in the house. Um, uh, let's talk, uh, let's learn uh, more about different ways parents can help their children understand the cancer diagnosis and really deal with that and, and, um, and process that. Um, Jen, uh, I've heard and, and read that um, by maintaining a routine, sticking to the same rules as before the cancer diagnosis, and, and just trying to keep some normalcy in the house, parents can help their children better deal with this major change. Is that true? Is, you know, is that uh, something that's important? Can we talk about that or other ways uh, that parents can help their children through this? Definitely. Uh, when, as they mentioned before, when cancers in the family, things are completely out of the norm. You know, life is very unpredictable. Things tend to feel very out of control. Um, and just as Nicole was just saying, you know, people tend to feel very helpless and you know don't know um, how to get control of the situation. Rules and routine really provide structure and normalcy um, for kids. And they also communicate some sort of safety for kids. Um, there can be some desire to, um, you know, let the rules go a little bit and let some things slide a little bit, which certainly at times is okay. But, you know, our instinct to do that is because you know, we feel bad for kids or, or something like that. And by doing that, um, you know, we're contributing a little bit more to the unpredictableness of what's going on and the out-of-control feelings. Um, so those rules and routine really do provide structure um, and let kids know that, that things are okay. Uh, in, in addition to just rules, keep trying to keep rules and routine, some of the most helpful ways to support kids um, are just by what we've been talking about, by opening up the lines of communication, letting them know that any question at any time is okay. Um, this can be a little bit scary for parents because they don't know what those questions are going to mm-hmm. be and when mm-hmm. they're going to come. But I always tell parents, you know, if your child asks you a question and you don't know how to answer it, um, you let them know, you know, I, I need a a little bit of time to think about that, but I'll definitely come back to you with an answer and make sure that you do follow through with that and come back to them with an answer so that they know that, you know, you're taking them seriously and that their questions are important. Um, so letting them know that any question's okay, validating their feelings, letting them know that it's okay to be sad and mad um, or whatever, you know, confused or worried, and that also it's okay to be happy sometimes. It's okay to, you know, when we're going through this really hard time as a family to still feel joy and to do things that you really enjoy doing. Um, one other really important thing that I want to mention yeah. um, that can be very supportive to kids is to connect with their school in some way. Um, by doing this, by letting the school know what's going on and um, maybe having your child help to pick out a supportive person at the school who they can talk to or at least who knows what's going on, 
um, you know that they have some kind of additional support outside of the home, and also the school can then report uh, to you any changes that they're noticing um, in behavior or in grades or um, just in in their mood in general or their peer relationships and things like that um, that that you might not be aware of, but someone at school um, might pick up on and observe those changes and and can then have a conversation with you. So um, that can be so important as well. Nicole, did your parents talk to the school, your school, your sister's um, middle school when your mom was diagnosed? Was that a conversation? Were you kind of open with your teachers about what was going on? Yeah, um, I'm forever grateful that my parents actually contacted the school because that just alleviated the process of me reaching out to multiple teachers mm-hmm. and having, mm-hmm. you know, explain everything that was going on. I believe my parents um, had a conversation with my guidance counselor, and from there she reached out to every one of my teachers and let them know about the situation. And I remember it was especially important in ninth grade because we were doing I was taking biology, mm-hmm. and um, we do a cancer unit. And I remember the day before we sat down to do the unit, my teachers took me outside the room and said, this is what we're going to be doing. Like, if you mm-hmm. would rather do um, some work in the library, I can give you packets if you ever feel. She totally gave me the option to sit out from the unit for the four days we were doing it in class and to instead, um, you know, read more textbook and do more things on my own during class time. If we were ever going to watch a video, she taught me beforehand. Um, so it just alleviated the process of me always having to worry um, if it was going to come up in the classroom, again, I was seeking help. Something we talked about in health would be cancer. So my teachers were just aware that it was a conversation that could potentially upset me. Yeah. And so I was very shielded from going through the embarrassment of maybe having, you know, to cry in school or to ever feel uncomfortable in the classroom in any way. Yeah, yeah. Michelle, did you uh, go to the school as well? Did you talk to your, your uh, children's teachers and counselors yeah, about what was yeah, happening? Yeah, we had parent-teacher conferences, like, pretty close to my husband's diagnosis. Mm. And, um, yeah, we told the teachers, actually, telling the school was unbelievably supportive because mm. they knew, first of all, I kind of felt like for the two or three years that my husband was sick and dying, the school was partially raising my kids. Mm-hmm. And they were really taking care of them. And they had, you know, some creative ideas about how to help my kids, um, both in keeping routine and rules and also in, like, they created an album with my kids of, you know, my kids didn't know that it was going to be an album for the future of memories. They thought mm-hmm. they were creating, you know, like a family album. But the teachers, collect, the psychologists and the teachers collected, like, pictures from us from family vacations. They interviewed the kids. And at the end of the year, the end of each year, the kids presented the album to my late husband and to me. And it was videotaped, and the school gave us the videotape. So... It just the, the school had so many ideas. I mean, the school had a network of people who called to see if we needed money for anything. They had a network of people to make meals for us at times that we needed it. Wow. So I, I don't know how, I don't know what life would have been like in hiding without the school knowing. I only felt like that was a good thing. Like it, it was like an instant community. Wow. That's fantastic. What a great story. Great experience. Um, uh, tell us a little bit, Michelle, about the ways that you kind of work to, keep the routine with your kids and stick to the rules and, you know, kind of other actions that you took or things that you did to kind of help them with the adjustment? You know, this is a very tricky thing as a parent because Mm -hmm. the kids don't really want this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The kids really want to do whatever they want to do. And um, even at the time, like, 
even things like brushing your teeth, taking a bath, getting dressed in, you know, clean clothes, um, doing your homework. Like, it took a lot for me to maintain those routines, Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. knew that I needed to do that, and they were sometimes more emotional about not wanting to do those things. I remember this time, like, my husband had just died, and my daughter was brushing her teeth in the bathroom, and there's toothpaste explosively all over the sink, (laughs) and I was like, I was so frustrated, like, how did that much toothpaste get on the sink? And she was like, I miss Abba, and I was like, Mm. thinking to myself, like, I freaking miss him, too. Why do I have to deal with this toothpaste by myself, you know? But, you know, so there would be, like, these more emotional outbursts, but I knew that if I didn't stick, or, or some people, like, I have a friend who had a child with leukemia, and... Like, they were joking about, like, constantly buying the kid new toys, new toys, new toys. Mm -hmm. And how hard that is to address later if you're treating it like it's not really life right now. You know, we'll give you everything you want. You could do whatever you want. And then at some point, you're building a developing child. And if they don't have the rules and routine to internalize, then they're not going to be able to, you know, function. It's going to blow up at some point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Jen, let's just t- talk for a minute. We've got a couple minutes until the break here, but, um, but you know, Michelle's bringing up some really important um, uh, issues, and certainly, you know, a cancer diagnosis can be a huge strain on 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 a child and on their, you know, their their coping skills and just their emotions and their feelings about everything. Um, what are some of the ways that we can stay within the parameters of that routine, but also really be receptive to a child's feelings? You know, giving them. Uh, you know, you talked about that uh, that album, Michelle, giving them ways for creative expression, journaling or art or music or, you know, letting them participate in, in sports that they love or, what, you know, what are some other things that, that parents can do to help with some of these emotional challenges? Well, I think that that first, you know, Nicole made a really great point earlier is was sort of her knowing your kid and and what they may respond to best. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Nicole knew that she wasn't someone who who might respond well to going to see an individual therapist every week and talking about her feelings, but rather going and doing um, community service towards, you know, with the goal in mind of helping others who are impacted by cancer would be helpful for her. So I think knowing how what your child might respond to can, you know, be a, one place to start. Um, kids, really of all ages, but, you know, especially younger kids, when they're hit with this experience, they often don't have the words to express how they're feeling. Um, with younger kids, we see a lot of their questions and their fears and their worries come out through their play. Um, parents will talk a lot about seeing their kids playing doctor or hospital or, you know, those kind of roles coming out in their play. Um, you know, other things that, that kids of all ages certainly use, and we use a lot here at Gilda's Club, we use writing and art and music, all as different forms of expression um, as a way for them to have a creative outlet um, And I think it's important to encourage kids to use these outlets to help them to reduce their anxiety and their stress, Um, even things like sports, where it may not occur to them that it's that, you know, a direct of a correlation that that's going to be helping them with their experience. But, you know, the expending that energy and getting out those emotions through um, something like sports or something active. Can be very therapeutic. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that, no, I think all of those... 
Yeah. No, no. I think all of those things make sense. Absolutely. Um, This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about talking to your children uh, when someone in the home is diagnosed with cancer. What are some of the tips and skills and and resources that are out there to help parents talk to their kids about cancer? Uh, I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're just going to take a quick break. We've got more to cover here on the show. We'll be right back. to Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're having a great discussion today about uh, cancer and parenting and really talking to your kids about cancer in an age-appropriate way, giving them the tools, the skills, the resources um, to manage through cancer in the family. Um, Nicole, children facing a parent's cancer diagnosis are often in a difficult situation, although they may... um, it may seem like their, their classmates, their friends on the surface, um, you know, they're, they're connecting with those folks and they're trying to seem normal. You know, they're dealing with a serious situation at home. You talked a little bit about the experience at school, the sensitivity of your teachers. What about your classmates and, and, and uh, you know, and your friends or others around you in your family or, or community? What was your, you know, interaction like w- with folks, some of the good things, maybe some of the not so good things? 
um, again, my family's more on the private side, so I didn't tell too many of my friends about what was going on. I really told my immediate group, but, you know, our town is so small that, you know, it got around eventually, but me personally, I didn't tell too many people. Um, it was actually very, you know, once people started finding out, people were sending food over to the house and sending letters and sending cards, and I actually... Um, Another thing I was involved with the Skilda's Club when I was that age was I wrote um, one of the teen essay contests. And looking back at it, it was a very angry piece of writing that I wrote. And um, it was really interesting because I wrote in that essay that it kind of bothered me that people all of a sudden who had never shown much of interest in caring about my family or maybe showing support were all of a sudden sending cards and food. And for some reason, that made me very angry. Um, I kind of felt like, you know, people were doing it maybe for different reasons than I thought were appropriate. But um, in general, I found the support to be very comforting. But again, I was also confused by it. Um, And I think it was just because I was so emotional during the time. I was trying to figure out, you know, what what everything meant. I was very, I was definitely overanalyzing everything everyone was doing. Um, The community really came together and did um, show their support for my family. But I remember just at the time, I really was confused as to what everybody was doing or how their, what their intentions were or, you know, I was, that was basically my reaction to it, I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Michelle, you know, you, you, you talked about uh, that you had a great school system. It sounds like your family also sort of stepped in, but yet you were balancing a career, your husband's illness, two children, busy children. What, what, did, you, what did you do to take care of yourself? through this, did you find any, for yourself, any coping mechanisms yeah. or, or coping yeah. strategies? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that balance is really hard. Um, I'm, I run. Mm-hmm. That kind of helps, like, on a physical level. Like, even, anyway, that just, that's meditative. Meditation mm-hmm. is tremendously helpful. Uh, I was in individual therapy. I was at a group at Gilda's Club for relatives of people with cancer and, um, funny about support groups because before I was in one, I kind of felt like, do I really want to go there and hear everyone's stories? But there is something that happens in a support group where Mm -hmm. people are going through similar things Mm -hmm. and where the facilitator is encouraging us to find similarities and commonalities. And you start realizing like there are phenomenon that aren't about how I'm reacting. They're just part of the territory of what happens when someone has cancer. And it's similar to what I said before about talking to people who have, like, blazed this trail before and learning, like, oh, this is a cycle that I'm going through. This is a process I'm going through. I didn't do this, and there's nothing I can do to make it go away. It's kind of like riding the wave. Um, So support group I definitely recommend. And, of course, talking to friends and having time to myself, um, but I don't know if I did a good job balancing that. You know, I yeah. I, uh, I think, I don't know if there's any kind of perfect balance. Right. Well, the support group really shows you that you're not alone, doesn't it? I mean, it, regardless of what the specifics are of your situation, you're not alone. You're not the only person who's been through this or is going through it. And, and it sort of, it becomes a, a sort of a human connection, doesn't it? Totally. And I mean, I was in there feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be the youngest widow on earth. I was like, I don't know, 40 or something. I'm going to be the youngest widow on earth. And in walks a 26-year-old with a three-week-old baby. And her husband has a year, a year, uh, you know, a diagnosis that gives him a year. And I just, it was just so humbling. It was, And she's one of my best friends now. I met her there. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing the things that people survive and thrive through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just quickly, Michelle, advice for someone else in the same situation? I guess, like, learning to accept help from others and not feel like we owe everyone. Everyone's in this together. We're all, as humans, we're in this together, and we all do what we can to help others, and we don't have to pay anyone back except just pay it forward. You know, pay it back, pay it forward. And to just be able to take what's there and then think about what's comfortable for me to do as service in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicole? advice for folks in this situation? I think for me, what got me through it was knowing that my parents were going to love each other no matter what. It was something very powerful that my, knowing that my dad still loved my mom as she, you know, was deteriorating and the hair fell out, knowing that my family wasn't going to fall apart because of this was something that, you know, that was the most powerful, powerful thing for me was knowing that, um, you know, my parents were still in love. The appearances yeah. wasn't changing anything. They were going to stick by each other and that we were yeah. going to make it there. So sort of that power of the human spirit, you sort of felt it in your home. Yeah, the love. Yeah. It was like everybody, yeah, the love. instead of falling apart, we were all growing stronger together. Nice, nice. Um, Jen, just quickly, uh, resources that are out there for folks facing this situation. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think first parents, you know, look to their immediate family, neighbors, colleagues, just people who they think can be helpful, whether it be, you know, in a practical way by supporting them by, you know, helping kids with homework or transportation or meals, all of those things that have been mentioned today, um, and help them to create some of that normalcy so that they can stick to that routine. You have to ask for help to make, you know, to really make yeah. that happen. Um yeah. Secondly, we mentioned we've talked about schools and how helpful, what a great resource schools can be um, to support families. And, you know, also I, I think I encourage families to look and see what support is available in their community. Um, you know, not every community does have a cancer support community or Gilded's Club or but I think look out there and see what is available. Um, yeah. You've heard today a little bit about the, the power of group support and, you know, also individual support can be so helpful just by talking to other people who have been through something similar. Um, can be so helpful for children as well as parents. And um, so I, I really do encourage that to look for those resources. And, you know, Michelle mentioned earlier also, there are a lot of books that can be really helpful for parents out there and for yeah. children um, when talking about cancer. Yeah, um, and I, yeah, and I want to remind folks, Jen, about our, our uh, book, What Do yeah. I Tell the Kids?, um, which is uh, available online at, the, at our website, www.cancersupportcommunity.com. Dot org. Um, and we also, uh, if you want to find where our list of locations are at the Cancer Support Community, you can visit that website, cancersupportcommunity.org, to find all 50 of our centers around the country where we have great folks like Jen and others who are providing counseling and support services and family counseling for folks who are going through cancer. Um, you can also call our helpline if you want to talk to one of our counselors by phone. And that phone number, if you want to grab a pen, is 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five. Again, that's eight 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 seven nine three nine three five five. We have uh, at the cancer support community a host of of free support services, support groups, and educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction for 
people with all cancers at all stage of illness and for the family members and loved ones. And we also have a lot of programs for children who have someone with cancer in the family. So we encourage you to reach out and join us. You can find that that book on our website, What Do I Tell the Kids? I want to thank Jen, Michelle, Nicole for uh, being on the show today, having this really important uh, conversation about supporting uh, kids, supporting the family through cancer. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.